the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Oh, and it is the Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marsha Pinkumber. I'm here today with Ruby Fontana. Hello. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. I know. Thank you so much. My guest co-host for the day, Ruby, happens to be the events director for Wine Women. You find us at winewomen.net, among other places. Um, But I appreciate your stepping in because my other regular uh, co-hosts, they're on assignment this week. How's that? Great. And it's (laughs) wonderful to be here. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about where we're at. We're at the Panel Wine Lounge here in Sonoma. They're at 535 West Napa Street in Sonoma. Open Tuesday through Friday, 3 to 9, and Saturday noon to 9 o'clock. Uh, open by appointment Sunday, Monday. Now, the cool thing about the Wine Lounge here, the Panel Wine Lounge, is it's not only buy the glass wine lounge, but they have a shop, so you can buy by the bottle. And it's a global shop, so they have wines from everywhere from... New Zealand to Germany to Portugal to Spain to France, Italy, and of course the West Coast here of the U.S., which is really cool. So visit panelwines.com, and uh, if you're nearby, come on in and have a glass because they have a huge selection, and you can get kind of little tapas bites, little wine and charcuterie, sorry, cheese and charcuterie platteries. It's really hard to spread wine on a cracker. Um, so cheese a and a challenge. cracker would be better. That's a great challenge. I'd they like to also see have beer, espresso. <laughs> it's a really fun place to hang That's out. Huge. Very comfortable, relaxed, friendly atmosphere. I can't say enough good things about Wonderful. hanging out here. So uh, you also just heard from our guests who are here. So we have Allison Smith-Story as our guest for this hour from Smith-Story Wines. Allison, thank you for being here so much. Happy to be here. Thank and you. Alexandra Romanini is also sitting in as another guest co-host again, which is great to have you here. No, thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's just been great. Always a pleasure. So we have a little bit of news here that we are tackling. I'm going to... Oh, here passing my my sheets around okay i want to know if uh you might know this allison and this is kind of a pop quiz thing oh no this oh, comes no. from whom we, whom we affectionately refer to around here as dr liz oh. dr liz tosh master of wine that's right she has the mw after her name which i believe only goes to about 160 something people worldwide for their master of the wine business and master of wine knowledge it's huge she is a professor here at sonoma state university and a prolific wine writer and uh golly knowledgeable person so she wrote a very interesting story that i snagged which famous global wine region prohibits swearing in the vineyard Mm. alex for five points that will be (laughs) anybody want to take a stab at where that is Tasmania. Portugal. (laughs) All right. Lots of really good guesses here. Um, However, you're both wrong. Uh, So the vineyards can be beautiful and lush and green in foliage with jewel-like clusters of grapes. See, she's a great wine writer. Um, Anyone amongst the vines would know, or maybe they wouldn't know, that living amongst the vines and working amongst the vines could result in some exhausted workers that might let loose 
So a few swear words. Where might this be? Well, in one famous wine region of the world where vineyards were considered to be so sacred and a gift from God that anyone caught cussing <laughs> could be fined. Ooh la la. Would you believe? I know, ooh la la. The fine was, uh, so this is a quote from Dr. Peter Molnar, who is the general manage, manager of uh, Patricia's Winery and the president of the Council of Tohai. Oh, Does that give you a big area. hint there? Okay. So Tohai, I assume that's how it's pronounced. Hungary? Yeah, Hungary. Oh. So Tohai is actually spelled T-O-K-A-J, but I assumed it's Tohai. pronounced Tohai. Tokai. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So See? Hungry. So I was slightly off. Hungry. So huh. no the idea. fine, according to Dr. Peter Molnar, the fine actually could be doubled if you were a nobleman. Ooh, no potonks for and you. And this all took place um, between 1631 when the sweet noble wine of Tokai was said to be discovered through the mid 1700s when the church held so much dominance over the wine region that I guess this fine was imposed. So all of this comes about because uh, Dr. Liz Tosh um, was attending a wonderful event at Buena Vista Winery that was um, featuring Dr. Peter Molnar uh, and the wines of Hungary and they were tasting all these wonderful wines from Hungary. So I just... Did something slip where it had to come up? I, evid- okay. Evidently, it was part of the story. I guess so it was kind grapes of have delicate ears. Well, we have a saying that. Instead of a cussing, you know, we just let out, oh, bless, right. bless your heart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> bless their hearts. All right, so... I know, so yeah, I know there. Yeah, Alex is like making much... Don't cuss over the microphones. <laughs> So anyway, so moving on to a uh, wholly different story, we'll move into a little bit of the United States logistics of the distribution of wine, which, as we know, it's like dealing with 50 different countries because every state has their own laws. And interestingly, um, recently the Supreme Court of the United States, also known as SCOTUS, um, struck down a Tennessee law. The Tennessee law prohibited... Um, people who wanted to get liquor licenses, they had to have a residency of two years um, before they could obtain that wine license. Uh, and there was another portion of that, that Total Wines, the, the distributor Total Wines, was challenging. That was also struck down, and I can't remember all the details of that. But what was interesting as a result of that change in the last few months to me, uh, I should actually say within the last few weeks, because that ruling came down uh, approximately a month ago, so relative, relatively recently. Um, so as a result, just last week, Robert Epstein, who's a lawyer in the Granholm versus Heald case, which is the big one that opened up winery direct sales to consumers across the, the, the entire country, uh, shall we say at least 37 states. So um, since the Supreme Court struck down that law, uh, a new suit was si- filed in four different states, including Indiana, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Texas, challenging those individual states' prohibitions against out-of-state retailers selling wine and shipping it to residents of those states. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. This was an article in The Spectator by Mitch Frank. Um, about these new cases have been now challenged and filed, and we'll see how those play out, which is altogether kind of interesting. 
another interesting, and I'll make this kind of short story that came out. Um, the title of the article was Protecting Vineyards with Drones. Okay, so in Washington State, um, at Washington State University, they conducted an experiment in which aerial drones might help Washington farmers recoup some of their $80 million of crop damage losses that are caused by birds. Now, Alexandra, you are a vineyard manager. You have a lot of experience in the vineyard itself. Birds cause a fair amount of damage. They can. They can. That's why right. some vineyards put up netting. Right. Exactly. So um, this article, which was produced by WSU and released to the world via the internet, what it basically says is that the con- the experiments they conducted were that when the drones were flying over the vineyards, they noticed that other birds were scared of the drones and entered the vineyards to destroy crops at a much lower level. So it might save a huge amount of crops. But, of course, the problem is, can you imagine keeping drones in the air 24-7? No. Well, during daylight hours. Yeah, that'd be a long day. It could be a really, really long day. So uh, that's some of the current news that's out there. And we'll see if um, drones get sophisticated enough and have enough battery power to kind of help out in that regard. around. I don't know. I would, i just kind of like to see uh, perhaps raptors. Alexandra, you talked about this uh, in a previous uh, episode of Wine Women Radio Hour. Um, having owls and various raptors uh, uh, such as red, red-tailed hawks, peregrine falcons, and the like um, working over your vineyard will certainly keep out other... T- those are only underground pests well, like moles moles right so um but i don't think they're they're uh i'm trying uh, they will scare off bigger uh bigger birds they'll scare off or smaller s- birds smaller birds the bigger okay. birds will scare off the smaller yeah birds. yes so they're, maybe maybe if those this. washington vineyard farmers got more mm-hmm. of those raptors it might help anyway maybe. so we we want to we want to turn right now to allison smith story who is the co-owner of smith story wines you can find them at smithstorywinecellars.com online uh relatively new vineyard you you were founded in 2013 mm-hmm. it's kind of a fairy tale story you and yes. your husband eric yep. met through k l wine merchants uh eloped to the big island of hawaii we did altogether. our last vacation <laughs> <laughs> the last one that you got because you decided to found a winery oh, yeah oh yeah oh my goodness oh. Uh, why did you, why did you yeah. fill in our listeners a little bit about the genesis of yeah. how this all came to be and, sure. and what wines you offer? Sure. Well, interesting enough, um, I worked for KNL for about a year, and Eric worked there for about 18 years. So being a wine buyer um, there was his life. And when we met, we were definitely friends, and mm-hmm. we started kind of crossing over the friendship bridge when he was planting a vineyard up in the Anderson Valley. Exciting. Yes. Um, some of my, my highlights is I remember walking through the vineyards with Eric and some of our friends, and our old dogs were with us, and thought, God, this could be really cool to do this on our own one day. And um, I think that night was the first night I had a 76 German Riesling, and that just completely Beautiful. won me over you know did it knock your socks it, it off it really did it I, I don't think i've ever had a oh. riesling that old so you know, i have no tabs. idea what you experienced it's, it's really amazing and you know those old rieslings they, they taste like a beautiful almost to me very appley 
um, mm-hmm. and the, there's not a lot of heat. It's not sticky. It's just it's, it turns into really beautiful wine. They actually almost look like Pinot Noir because of the oxidation. So oh wow! It's a fun one to take to a blind because uh, it tricks <laughs> you. Fool everybody! <laughs> Absolutely. So anybody studying for exams gets completely thrown off, and exactly. their confidence is shot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when I was at KNL, I was um, it was really. Um, my first full year committed to being in the wine business and out of corporate America. And um, my background uh, in the 90s, I lived in Dallas. I graduated from Baylor um, in the early 90s. And mm-hmm. I got involved with helping the Dallas Stars and Texas Rangers and the right. radio broadcast there. And this was not the wine business. It's not the wine business. <laughs> However, I had expense accounts for the first time. Oh. And I hung around some people that knew a little bit about wine and I caught the bug. So um, I and found myself, hooked. I was hooked. I love going to wine shops and, you know, saying, oh, my God, I had this Russian River Pinot Noir. Who were their neighbors? Where, where else should I look? And I really self-taught um, the regions what, of the world but is, that way. But, but yeah. Allison, you just said a really magical formula for mm-hmm. people who are trying to learn, yep. which is you identified, okay, Russian River Pinot, but, but you asked about yep. who are the neighbors of these totally. people, not a lot of people wouldn't think yeah. to do that as a strategy. It was su- mm-hmm. it was a super geography and um, history time that mm-hmm. I really I mean I, there's significant weekends I remember just getting a you know the Hugh Johnson Atlas of Wine and sitting down and just cover to cover you know there's there's things and you know the maps that stand out statements that stand out but I knew I had the bug and I when I finally said I'm gonna take the plunge and go for this wine career and. All day long at KNL, I taste these wines. KNL was kind of a, mm-hmm. I don't know, kind of an Ivy League business school time for me. It just was a sponge, and I would say all the time, "Gosh, an additional degree yeah. unofficially." You know, we Paid were tasting, that. A, yeah, we were yeah. T- we got to taste a few hundred <laughs> wines a week, and meet you know vintners and importers from all over the world. And I know how many times I said, oh, "I've never seen this back home. I've never seen these wines back home." And so in my mind, I was building a sports agency for wineries. <laughs> <laughs> and so nice. fast forward like to 2005, um, I started a company called mm-hmm. Texacali Wine Company. And within a year, I had about 300 different wineries represented in my portfolio. Mm. Um, a little bit of be careful what you ask for, because I was now working <laughs> with five different distributors and a couple hundred sales reps and, you know, going 90 miles an hour. Nothing different than we do today. <laughs> right. Very different. You, you learned to work at a different speed. Yeah. yeah. But it uh, really was um, an enjoyable time. I, I was very fulfilled that way because I was just helping others. I've been, I feel like I, I've been really, I don't know, blessed to understand sales and marketing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, wine is a luxury product. It's a farming product and it should just be delicious. You know, one of the first books that I read about wine was written by Justin Meyer, who was the original winemaker for Silver Oak. Right. And you can still find this book today, uh, I think on Amazon for like nine bucks. It's called Plain Talk About Fine Wine. And I think it really set the pace for me um, because in the very introduction, he talks about, hey, as luxurious as this wine business is, you should always just create a really wonderful memory with your friends and yeah. family. And it Bottom doesn't, line. And luxury doesn't necessarily mean that it's unaffordable. Exactly. Exactly. So that kind of set yeah. my mind up. And, you know, down the road, I've moved, I was in Texas for a while, moved mm-hmm. back to um, the Rush River area. And Eric and I kind of placed a bet on, uh, we not really kept in touch while uh-huh. I was in Texas, but uh, we were big baseball fans and went to a few games out here. And just so happens that uh, 2010, the Texas Rangers were playing uh, the San Francisco Giants. 
in the World Series. And so uh, I think he placed the bet with me. He says I placed it with him. But uh, the loser was supposed to cook the other one dinner, and the Rangers lost. I cooked dinner, and we opened some pretty epic wine that night. Uh-huh. So the rest is history. And the rest is history, and here we are. So let's yeah. pour your first wine yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So you've got this beautiful Sauvignon Blanc. Yes, this is our 2018. Okay, fantastic. This, this so it didn't a, spend too long in, I assume, stainless steel? No, um, actually it didn't. So we. Aha! this is one of the first wines we pick every harvest comes from three family vineyards that we work with. One in uh, Knights Valley, a small couple of acres, one up on Sonoma Mountain, and then a few acres we work with in the Russian River Valley. So, um, wait, wait, I, sorry, say that, say that again, because I turned your mic off while you went to close the curtains to the room, so you're back on again. I said, uh, how many cases do you produce Mm -hmm. in the Sonoma Mall? This is our largest, so we went from uh, 400 cases our first year in 14, Mm -hmm. To an 18, we produce 1800. So. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a driver for us in many regards. When Eric and I worked on our business plan, I said, let's write down things that we love to drink, not tell each other, let's write those down, where they come from, why we like them. And we both wrote down Sauvignon Blanc, Puy Fume, Sancerre. I said, but we're making well, wine man, in California. This How is specific. Exa- yeah, I, 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 very specific, and I was going to say, yeah. this wine hits all those notes. Yeah, it's very, um, I, I give credit to our Sonoma Mountain Grower. We, we first looked at the land and the vineyard. We weren't looking up at this beautiful landscape and views. We were looking in the ground. It just rained a few days, mm-hmm. and all the rocks had kind of risen on top of the soils, and we we're picking up, and digging in with our fingers and we you know he thought we were nuts i said no this is exactly what we want you know this looks just like some 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 sancerre because there's a lot of crushed limestone that is pretty rare so Mm -hmm. um that really excited us so um we really put our mind this is my favorite child i i want to (laughs) be it's 25 dollars all day long i wanted to be that that go-to sauvignon blanc for high in quality Mm -hmm. um something that you know uh, it's 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 been a gateway for right. a lot of my friends that were chardonnay drinkers yeah <laughs> i love that it. you know i agree it's very dry yep um but it's very fresh yeah super fresh in there yeah. super fresh and again listeners smith story wine and i kind of have a joke but i mean it my favorite pairing with this wine no matter what is the couch there's nothing better. <laughs> There's nothing better than getting a full glass of wine and sitting down on the couch. You know, I might relaxing. be able to one up that. How about a hammock? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, man. For sure. But is that a hammock or a couch like with a good book oh, yeah. or yeah. you know, a favorite? Just be quiet. A magazine with the summer article. breeze. Yeah. Works summer sweet. breeze. Oh, oh, good for you. Yeah. You know, Ruby is really good at like painting the picture yeah. of the whole summer experience. Breeze. Something about her background in events management. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Magically makes all of what's, that what's really cool about the cinema mountain site um there's about eight rows of simeon that also grows next to our sauvignon blanc and it's in this little amphitheater right. section of the vineyard and we originally thought that we would blend the simeon in with our sauvignon blanc most people do mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but we what we didn't know our first year is how much longer it was going to take for that simeon to ripen oh so we picked the Simeon almost a full month after we brought in the Sauvignon Blanc. So, you know. Full of surprises. This is the best financial probably decision to do. <laughs> um, Alexander is kind of yeah. acknowledging <laughs> the surprises that come from the vineyard we and the learning lessons. We say it's a gift from the vineyard, that Simeon. Yes. Um, but because of that, you know, we had to uh, ferment separately. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where Eric and I were in the cellar tasting after fermentations had dried and everything was, you know, 
tasting amazing. And we both had a glass. We smelled the Simeon. We tasted it. And we just looked at each other like, no way we're blending this. We are, how much can we bottle? And I think we bottled about 50 cases. So that vendor gives us anywhere nice. from 50 to 70 cases, depending on the vintage. Uh, and it's dry like this, um, luxurious, uh, you know, a lot mm -hmm. more complex. And we love that that bottle is going to be the best aging wine, I think, of nice. all our whites. So. so I'm curious, yeah. um, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon mm -hmm. blended together. Here, obviously, you learned they yeah. don't ripen at the right. same right. speed. But in France, is it a different, if they're grown to, together, do they, is it a different ripening pattern a, there? No, I think it's the same. The Simeon grape is a lot bigger than the Sauvignon Blanc grape. Okay. Um, I, always, I always equate it to maybe like a Sauvignon Blanc grape is the size of a dime, and a Simeon could be the size of a quarter. Right. Huge um, difference. And so it just takes a lot longer. Um, you know, I think what if we have blended, and we may blend at some point a little bit, um, we would just blend after fermentations done on both and then blend after that. So, um, but my first, my first true blend that I just, my, my biggest memory of a Simeon Sauvignon Blanc is Aubryon being in Bordeaux and being handed a glass of that wine. And I just, that set the bar. <laughs> it just set the bar. Right. Up, you know. That's great because yeah. that kind of memory yeah. kind of sears in a, you know, yeah. on your head. And so that that's your bar so yeah. everything you're looking at you're looking to repeat that absolutely experience yeah. and that's a big part of wine is yeah. the association so you were talking about the hammock yes the couch yeah. um wines have such distinct memories with place and who you're enjoying it with mm -hmm. and the conversation that you're having yeah. uh, music and does the, the same food. to me too absolutely yeah. allison let yeah. me ask you yeah besides the couch yes what actual <laughs> food do you like to you pair know, with this Sauvignon Blanc you know one of my so I have a kind of a winter pairing and a summer spring but one of my favorite pairings right now is fresh tomatoes basil mm -hmm. fresh burrata or mozzarella but with kind a of little caprese. bit yeah kind of a caprese but with some kumquats that can oh, be sliced nice. and a little bit of honey yeah. and a little bit of olive oil and sea salt. That is, that is, Dang, girl. that is good. <laughs> you just, you Killing just me. laid yeah. it right out there and I'm like salivating. Right? And then one of my more wintry dishes is a butternut squash with a little bit of tiny bit of turmeric in it. So it gives it a little heartier nice. splash. And I usually throw either an apple or an orange in my butternut squash soup to give it a little pop of acidity too. So. Man. All of that just makes me sound. Well, we like to eat at our house. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, those are really great pairings, and yeah. I, I, you know, I can completely visualize them and imagine them with mm -hmm. sampling this right now. Yeah, thank it's, you. You know, who's got a great delicious. dish right now that matches this is uh, Willie's uh, Wine Bar is pouring this, and they have a burrata with um, pureed snap or pureed peas. Spring mm. peas, snap peas, fava beans. Sorry, fava beans. beans. Yes, yes, fava beans. And they grate a little bit of lemon rind and a little bit of olive oil and salt. And that's just a very clean. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I want to eat Perfect. that right now. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is a very, very quaffable Sauvignon Blanc. So, well, that's um, the point. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, I would also say I would garden with this. Yeah, I, I yeah. am an avid gardener and gardening is made easier sometimes when you have a glass of yeah. wine right next to you on your little gardening stool. Well, you don't want to get dehydrated. <laughs> no. no, you don't. That would well, be terrible. We have a, we also. Here, let me move it for you, Allison. Have, I don't want you to struggle. We're known to cut maybe some wine with some sparkling, cold sparkling water for our little spritz out in the garden. So if you need to keep your head on, that's always easy. Um, there's a, a really sweet lady in our neighborhood that 
I always see her out like holding a glass on one arm and watering in the other. And she got a surprise gift from me the other day because I'm like, you're just so cool. <laughs> you should be doing nice. it that way. Right, right. So we Inspirational. Should, yeah. We should mention a little bit. Um, I'm curious about the label design. Yeah. You have yeah. a big marketing background and everything. So you have this, um, you have this beautiful leaf border. Mm-hmm on your label here and then some you know the little diamond sure, tell, the, sure. tell the story well, of the smith's story visuals sure well we you know we have you come to our tasting room so we're the winery's in the rush river valley right across from the new rush river brewery in windsor and then on the weekends we also run thursday through sunday tasting room in philo in the anderson valley um so our philo tasting room has a huge shelf of empty bottles we call that our inspiration wall and a lot of those are older European bottles. And we knew from the very beginning we wanted to create a very classic label, um, that we wanted to keep our focus and our talks about what's in the bottle and not explaining the piece of art or explaining something that just meant something to us. And mm-hmm. we love those labels. But um, again, kind of being old uh, wine shop retail you know, folks, you know, we wanted to make a simple and very clear modern label. So I was a Smith. I married a story. Um, the actual sketch around the border <laughs> know, that kind of worked out, right? Um, is the wedding lay that Eric wore in Hawaii when we eloped. So oh. it's kind of a nod to the, the traditional Meili lei okay. of Hawaii. I can see that. Yeah, I know. It's, I'm, and it's my fault. I haven't actually made the time happen, but we should have our wines in Hawaii. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's know? a great idea. A I know. Marketing. Yeah. We have a little yeah. hashtag that says Smith Story Goes on Vacation when everybody takes our wine on all their vacations. And it's been in Hawaii. <laughs> so the, so the yeah. Smith Story Wine Club. Yeah. It's called the storytellers. Yeah, do do an excursion. Yeah, no, we we have that we have that not budgeted correctly yet, but we have it on our plan. So, so the symbol um, in between our Mm -hmm. our names, we actually I'll never forget. Eric was yeah, Eric was still working for K and L. He he stayed on until the end of sixteen. I believe the. I think that Thanksgiving of 13, he's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. We had one day off together because, you know, working in wine retail, you don't really have a lot of time off in the holidays. And we sketched our label um, on the way to meet his family for Thanksgiving. Napkin drawing? Yeah, it was actually on one of those just old school, Mm -hmm. you know, notebooks. Pad, yeah. Um, So the little symbol in between when, when, so Eric and I met uh, in wine. So there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a Mm -hmm. wine glass, kind of a modern cluster of grapes. And then H and L is a nod to our dogs that we mm-hmm. had when we first met in 2003. You're a so dog person. We I are a dog tell. person. So um, Henley and Lakota. It's very small and it, it's got a lot of meaning to us. But Henley and Lakota, where our two dogs are actually with us out in the Anderson Valley, that one memory that we made, and um, we thought, you know, that that's those were our first kids. So let's honor them a little bit. I think that's great. It's fun. So, and then, oh, you know, sweet. we didn't name the label. We didn't name the winery until the afternoon uh, in between signing our marriage certificate and getting married. We, um, for the first time ever when I was, you know, in that very romantic cinder block office of Kona, <laughs> <laughs> signing the marriage certificate, I said for the first time, Allison Smith's story. And Eric kind of popped off. He's like, oh, that sounds really good together. And I'm like, well, it should. I'm going to, am I a hyphen girl? I'm not a hyphen girl. I went through this whole like silly <laughs> but thing. But you are now. <laughs> I know, right? And so. Um, I like it. We had prepared that afternoon just to go kick it on the beach and had a bit cooler of, of nice adult beverages. And about four hours after we were on the beach, we started riding in the sand and taking pictures, you know, just married because we were having our ceremony the next day. But I wanted to at least have that teed up for mom and dad back home. 
and uh, we wrote Smith's story in the sand. And I'm like, oh my God, that looks really good. And Eric's like, we should name the winery. So there you go. We never thought we were okay. last name people on a label, but it totally now you works. Are. So. And it totally works. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. And it's, you know, pretty pretty well known in our parts. Cool. And I have to say, so I've been sipping this as yeah. we've been going. Yeah. And um, a couple things jumped out mm -hmm. to me. So. Um, the first thing was a lesson I got from a psalm several years ago that Mendocino Pinot Noirs um, oftentimes have a little bit more of a, a smack. I don't know how else mm -hmm. to describe it. A smack to them. And it's I think it's something to do with the acidity. Yep. Um, to it definitely, juicy. and it's the balance of the acidity to the, the berry flavor. But to me, this is very classic. Yep. Mendocino, Anderson Valley, yep. Pinot Noir. Yep. It is the classic profile yeah. that they have, which is to say it's very different from a Carneros Pinot Noir, yes. and it's very different from a Russian River Pinot Noir. And it's mm -hmm. so interesting to me that the terroirs produce such really different profiles. Yeah. Um, so if you go, oh, I love Pinot Noirs, but where Pinot from? Noirs from where? <laughs> exactly. From where? And they all ha and they all have you know different height and characteristics. So you yeah. get a lot of I get a lot of Bing cherry from yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, a lot of red cherry. It's it's a more of a ruby color yeah. to it. Um, it's got the backbone from the acidity mm -hmm. and everything. It's the tannins running through, but the tannins by no means, yeah. you know, strong dominate. or dominant yeah. in any way whatsoever. Well, it's really interesting where this vineyard sits. It's the hell of a vineyard. Um, uh, oh, and that was the next thing I wanted yeah. to talk about is yeah. the, the name. Right. You have and to talk about the it's name. the actual name of the vineyard. Um, where did I, that come from? Well, we were told, and I love this story because I helped Hanley sellers for many years with their business in Texas. And Milla Hanley was one of, a true pioneer for women in wine. And um, one of the, I think the second winery in um, the Anderson Valley, she had worked for Sanford for many years. Mm -hmm. And I think another person before that, but Milla, um, she always told it like it is always. And um, Steve Williams, who originally planted this vineyard in Boomville. So this is a valley floor. It's a hundred percent Pomar clone, um, but it's a really interesting area in the valley because it is a hotter area. Mm -hmm. But it flushes up against the ridge, the ridge that kind of is the south side of the valley. So it gets this killer afternoon shade. So the grapes just go, oh, thank you. You right. know, so after after yeah. getting attacked by heat, exactly and up so, until that point. Um, you know, and especially Pomar could be a little more tannic in structure. I mean, we were expecting this to maybe end up blending another vineyard with, but we love this so much on its own. But Milla, after seeing the vineyard for the first time, just just literally walking out of the vineyard and shutting the gate, looked back and goes, well. It's a hell of a vineyard you got back there, and it's stuck. And so, oh my goodness! And I always say the hardest thing about drinking a good bottle of wine is remembering what you had the next day. So hopefully, Allison, you know, <laughs> you've got a few things. True. You know, I mean, and this Hell of has been our, our number one um, red wine seller. You know, for gosh, this is our fourth release of that wine. Fourteen. And wow. listeners, yep. that is spelled H E. L L U V A. Yeah. yeah. Hell of a. Hell of a. <laughs> hell of a yeah. Don't try to be fancy with it. Just go for yeah. it. So <laughs> to me in the in the mouth feel of this, mm -hmm. like I said, a lot of lot of red sherry, a lot of red yeah. berry things yeah. going on slick here. Mouth feel. So what happens mm -hmm. to me is uh and you mentioned the heat, the mm -hmm. valley floor, it's like it it, it uh, the attack yep. um goes 
boom. Yep. It's yeah. a big yeah. yeah, you can't see me do it. Big widespread. Yeah. And it's like it, it's like if you dumped a it's like if you dumped a, a bucket of deluge, if you dumped a bucket right? it's a deluge and it goes boom it goes <laughs> yeah. out really wide and it yeah. goes all the way to the wide widest mm. parts of your mouth yeah. and the back and it just kind of and then it floats there yeah mm. and that's and why all its red cherry flavors and it's super the interesting too in the middle. yeah the sweetness in the middle mm. um the color is always very light from this vineyard it's very you know. pale we we pick um a little bit lower bricks than some of our neighbors it's interesting about this vineyard we haven't planned it but we have picked the ve- we've Every vintage we've picked under a full moon. I don't know what Ooh. that says or what mm, that means. Did you do it on purpose or did it just purpose. end up that way? Not on purpose. And Interesting. It's, it's always been my one of my favorite vineyards to be a part of that pick because it's the same family that's been in this vineyard for since the vineyard was able to pick. And it's usually three to four generations mm-hmm. of family members there as well. Um, and they're all singing and it's happy and it's a starry night in that Anderson Valley. And, you know, we usually get started around 10 o'clock and hopefully wrap up by three or four and then trek the grapes, unfortunately, out of the valley still because we don't have a custom crush facility or own winery there. Um, but we want those grapes to rest before we get, you know, to on the sorting table, right. but stay nice and cool. So back mm-hmm. up just yeah. uh, slightly, Allison, for mm-hmm. our listeners who may not know why we pick at night. Oh, yeah, I'm getting so nervous. <laughs> let, 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 let's do a little yeah, explanation perfect. there about the, the, the picking at night Sure. Thing. Well, you know, the sugars can get really racy during the day in the heat, and um, the phenolics and pretty much the, the chemistry of the grape is a little whacked out when it's a little bit, you know, I always say a little bit high on the sunshine. Um, so, you know, the, the cooler it gets back to that, you know, 55, 60, 55 degree, um, mm-hmm. we feel like the, the sugars and um, the chemistry of that grape kind of mellows out and tastes exactly what it should taste like. You know, it could be very deceiving when you taste at different hours of the day. Um, and then bringing those grapes in, you know, before the sun gets up, um, that's, that's where I freak out. Like, get it in there before it gets hot again and messes <laughs> it up. That may not, may not be the most technical way to describe it, but that's what I, how I describe it in my own head. Am I, am I close? <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. Get yeah. the, you know, it's just like an apple. You cut an apple. If the longer it sits around, the more oxidized it gets. Yeah. So then the grapes are the same thing. Just get them in, get them cool get them in a nice resting spot and then work from there. Because you think about it, and it's interesting, when we have heat spikes, I always describe, you know, the cluster of grapes. You look at the round grape and you look at that little stem that's connected to the grape and to the bigger stem, that's an umbilical cord. Yes. So you're cutting off, when you're cutting that cluster off, you're cutting off those nutrients and the oxygen and your waters or whatever coming to those clusters. So Mm -hmm. you want to get those, you know, in tank and the sorting table pretty fast. Um, you know, we, this vintage was interesting because we did have a heat spike. So uh, we had about three days, it hit over hundred degrees. So everybody's like, should we pick? Holy should moly. We wait, should we pick? Should we wait? And we chose to wait. And you're there with the refractometer. Oh yes. Oh, and, yes. and Nobody's your tape and your, t- it's not just the refractometer. You're probably, your vineyard manager is sitting there tasting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we chose to wait and that was really my husband's call. Um, he said, no, you know, I, it wasn't. Sugars weren't quite there a few days before. It needs to mellow out, and we brought it in. So I think we made the right call on that. So we make about 500 cases of this. This is our largest red wine production. So not not a huge amount. So no. get it fast. Yeah, yeah. Again, we Smith just released story, this, uh, wine cellars.com. 
Mm. What year is the this? Pinot Noir? This is the 17th. 17th. This is yeah, the 17th. Very successful. It's lovely. And, nice you know, and, it, and it's cert- with, you know, you can tell from um, the acid and the ver- vertical structure here that we're tasting. Yeah. Um, this is going to age nicely. Yeah. Over time, it would be really interesting to hit this again in another three to five oh, years ago. How is this evolved? That's the hard part when you're new. you got to wait, you know. But uh, in fact, tomorrow we're bottling. We work with two other Pinot Noir vineyards in the valley, and they're more in the deep end. So... We pick those about a month after we pick the Helleva. Uh, we have a new label um, that we just just arrived, and we're putting out a bottle tomorrow called um, the Boonies. <laughs> and the Boonies is going to allow us to have a little more flexibility um, in the valley the and work with some really <laughs> killer. How small far out place. are the Boonies? Yeah, exactly, right. That's not what I think. It makes everybody smile, and it's fun. And um, I think again, that's what wine should be about—delicious and fun. So. And the boonies, that's, that's yeah. a Pinot Noir. Yeah, it'll be a Pinot Noir, um, 100% at Anderson Valley. So. Awesome. Can't in wait. The in the boonies. In the boonies. In the boonies. So, so let, let's let's go to the next yeah. one that you've got here. Um, last but not least. Last, uh, definitely not. Definitely not. Little girl talk about so, Cabernet. So, yes. Get to look at all of these. And, you know, um, while you're pouring, I'm going to mention, you know, something that is unique about Smith Story Wines is you guys have a love of international wines. You you talked extensively about um, the knock your socks off yeah. uh, Riesling, 76 Riesling that you had. Right, right. Um, among other great wines that just kind of knocked you off. So yeah. you're not limiting yourself to one corner of Sonoma or Napa or Anderson Valley. Right. You, you guys are looking at all different things that what what is kind of cool is this is the representation of what excites Eric and Allison. Yep, that's how we drink. Um, about what the, what they want to drink, yeah. you know, and it's always nice, you know, you want to enjoy what your flavor profile right. is, not somebody else's so we, or formula. We, you know, we need sure. to appeal to X Y Z millennial, or we need to uh, appeal to X Y Z baby boomer, and you're going. You know, if we're going to do this and work on this 24-7, 365, we're going to focus on what we love. That, and that's exactly right. And part of it is like we're, we don't like to be bored. We thought, God, if we just made one or two varietals, we'd be so bored. <laughs> you know, and I'd, we both have worked extensively with um, European producers and importers. And when we were actually in Austria via Venom in 2014, we left and, and visited um, some of our producer friends and Germany and one in particular it's kind of like a big brother to Eric crazy uncle to me said oh we must make wine together for Smith's story I want to help you and invest in you and that's and fantastic so we said yeah let's do that and Eric had worked with him before and had left Canal for a couple of years so we would work at the winery um, so we make Riesling and Rosé of Pinot Noir from the Rheingau region of Germany and then we have an import license Eric's story selections that brings that over so the grapes are grown Fantastic. wine is made labeled bottled shipped over and mm-hmm. it's probably the easiest thing we do <laughs> yeah Fantastic. It's, it's those actually, are $20 wines so we right. really want to focus on our import wines being a really big value and boy they have just and, been and it's not just received, it's so. not just that their value is yeah. they're, they're fantastic which too. makes them yeah. a great value yeah and for listeners who go well why are you european wines less but they're fantastic uh, alex is shaking your head over this and uh, I, and okay so here's my version and i want you to correct me if i'm getting Mine. wrong but yeah. the land was paid for centuries ago 
it's been passed down um, generally among families for Correct. centuries. So the land is paid for. And all the work is done by the family. And the work is oh. done by the family. So uh, whereas here in the U.S., being a very young country in comparison to yes. Europe, um, we are still paying for vineyards. They're still mortgaged. Yeah. Cost of and all that. And the cost of labor yeah. here. Yeah is high so although the quality the quality is comparable and you go well why is the u.s wines much much more than european wines it's the economic difference it was all paid for long long ago centuries ago in many ways am i off or not no i think you've got it right and you know the big labor pool of being family and friends it really offsets the cost of vineyards the government's over there are very different than ours too. Right. And, and also the, e- the, the <laughs> EU influences yeah. and oh, I don't want to say homogenized. They're, they're, they're trying very hard not to homogenize because they, they know that would yeah. devalue um, locations. But they are trying to streamline um, the way things are dealt with over there. Right. But for our listeners who go, well, why is U.S. wine so much more expensive? Um, please don't get confused about quality and price. No. Um, you can find great quality from the U.S. and from Europe and down under uh, and, and you know, uh, other parts. And they have different economies. And start learning about them. Yeah. That would be the best I would we say. We hope that. to grow that, too. We, we definitely have got a project in the works in Loire Valley uh, for some Cap Franc and Vacal maybe a little mm-hmm. bit outside of Vacal for a Gruner Veltliner. Those are two really fun wines that we enjoy. And we make Cap Franc here. I love Gruner. Um, yeah, and Gruner there's not, And wine. I don't know if, yeah. is there any Gruner grown here Yeah, Belton Barnes um, actually has a little bit of Gruner. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a couple other people, it's really weird. It's rare. Mm-hmm. It's not planted hardly at all. And, I, yeah. and there's somebody, um, I recently heard that is doing a Gruner from, I think, the Central Coast. Okay. Um, but I would love to do Sauvignon because I love that region so much. My uh, husband says, absolutely not. <laughs> it's hard enough to sell that wine as it is. Not putting in a story label. So interesting stuff. So so right now we have uh, we have migrated. Yes. We have transitioned over to the Smith Story 2014. 2016. 2016. Yeah. I'm looking at it and the yeah. wrong word came out of my mouth. Isn't uh. that terrible? Oh, Pickberry. You've got a Pickberry Vineyard yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon. Pickberry is legendary. Um, and this is a beautiful wine from Sonoma Mountain from Pickberry Vineyard, uh, the 2016. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to ask how right? the heck you got in right. on Pickberry. Um, no. that, yeah. I'm going to say winemaking wine in many cases is about relationships. Yes. Alexandra is nodding her head vigorously on this. Networking and who has who. And, you know, people get in a pinch and you help them out and they'll forever be your partner. I'm grateful. I'm going to say, would you like some next year? Let's do a contract for, you know, a ton or two or something. Or, you know, something that makes, you know, 25 cases, 50 cases, 60 cases, something like that. Mm -hmm. So this is it's beautiful. A beautiful cab. It's beautiful. Well, yeah. Allison, what's your 
what's your personal take on Cabernet Sauvignon? There, you mm-hmm. know, you're a marketer, so you, yeah. I know you're coming at the entire brand that you produce for family, right? And both in terms of, well, we got to do things that attract the public, that are pleasing to the public, and yeah. but we're damn it, we're doing things right. that I like, that you and Eric both like. Right. What, what's your personal take on Cabernet Sauvignon? It's a couple different takes, actually. From a business standpoint, especially working in Texas, Cabernet was my king of my portfolio, no matter what. If it came from Argentina, if it came from Italy, I sold a lot Is that of because cab. Texans like everything big? Some do. You know, <laughs> those original native Texans. Um, you know, the only, the, you know, I had a, when Pellegrini made their Clover de Ranch Cabernet, that was very significant Cabernet for me. Um, my only Napa Cabernet I worked with was Ann Colgan and Colgan Cellars, and that was probably oh my God. Well, you started at the top right right <laughs> however um i don't think i ever tried that wine i just got to sell that wine so. oh my goodness <laughs> but uh guy davis of davis family was a long time client uh-huh. as well and he used to buy legendary um, stagecoach vineyard um cabernet and to make his cabernet and i just you know for me i our cabernet is what we like to drink and i describe it as um walking into a pretty patio on a summer evening with a wool coat on, that is not going to be my friend. Walking in with a lovely, you know, maybe shock because it might get a little bit chillier, really well-balanced outfit. You don't look like a buffoon. You can really sit down and enjoy company. That's our cab. Um, our cab doesn't see any new oak and aging. Um, it's super balanced. It's super classic. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the cabs that we've been probably most inspired by um, and reflects our style of this is some of the 70s and 80s. Um, really Napa, Napa Valley Cabernet producers, some old Clos Duvals have really spoken to us, my commas, Montebello. Um, we kind of talked about the three M's, even Chateau Montalena. If you can get a hold of those old 70s and 80s cabs, oh my probably goodness. really good. Yeah. Alcohol's really lower. For, yeah. I think that plays a big part. We're never trying to be the lowest alcohol wine. We don't We don't wear that, that badge. However, we always balance. try to make a balanced Balance. Wine. And this yeah. is very well yeah. balanced. So. I love the nose on our cab. I mean, I just smell that. For listeners, forever. I mean, it yeah. has a beautiful nose, but I want to mention the color. It has a yeah. bright ruby color. Hello, Ruby. <laughs> I know. Like How convenient that mm. your name matches right. a great descriptor right. of yeah. wine. That was not planned. And it wasn't planned, but it's there. Um, I I was going to mention, so when you were talking about, you know, what ple- what is mm-hmm. pleasing to you, um, your Cabernet, this is, again, the 2016 Pickberry Vineyard Cabernet from Sylvan, uh, Sonoma Mountain. Yep. Um, it's got a lot of vertical structure. It's still very young. Yeah. This can age yeah. 10, maybe 20 years, you know, to, you know, we'll have to see in 10 years yeah, we're how it goes for another yeah. 20 years. Yeah. But um, I can right now, because we're in the dead of summer, I can see, oh, my God, I would love to do this with beef kebabs. Yeah. yeah. Um, with so bell fresh. peppers it's and really onions, you know, the traditional it, yeah. kebabs kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but I can also see, so then in the dead of winter, I can also see doing this with, um, you know, making it fun with cassoulet. Yes. A great stew. Yeah. Uh, I can see doing this with tacos. Oh, yeah. Fun <laughs> kind of combinations yeah. and everything. And again, it's, you know, making it the experience, the fun, and and how you might yeah. want to make it work. We also work with the Merlot and the Cab Franc in this vineyard. So this vintage has about 12% Merlot that we blended in, and that's a blending decision you know we, mm-hmm. we go through a fair amount of blending trials before we decide that's it and so that leaves us with about 50 cases of merlot that we bottle to so so, so if you've got 12 yeah. percent merlot in here i would i would mm-hmm. m- my 
example, I'm using the wrong vocab there, would be, it's uh, softened the edges a little bit of the Cabernet Sauvignon and made it immediately approachable. Yeah, I think that's that red cherry I get, just the Merlot in there. Um, Definitely. It's not, it's not a super hot vineyard. It's hillside. It gets a lot of afternoon wind. It doesn't necessarily get the cool wind, but it's, it mm-hmm. stays dry that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, if you go to our homepage on our website, the picture on our homepage is the Pickberry Vineyard standing at the very top of the Cabernet section. And you can see it kind of faces almost Bennett Valley. Mm-hmm. Bennett Valley is a little bit to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Moon Mountains to the right. You know, I say as a crow th- flies, it's about a 45-minute drive over the hill to 101 know heading west so it's right. really tucked in uh, beautiful lush um, the Katori's have their vineyards surrounded the Pickberry vineyard so right Pickberry, Pickberry is a legendary vineyard in Sonoma uh, well known for their cabs and their yeah. Merlots and Joel Peterson really put them on the map yes he know? did so he did he, so I mean I was told that when he you know sold Ravenswood to Constellation that's when some of the fruit became available they weren't as interested in, in making a lot of that Cabernet. So, um, you know, it was interesting when we first, everybody asked, gosh, how'd you guys get in all these vineyards? We work, we've worked with Dutton Ranch. Relationships, we've worked in, relationships. It's that, and, and a lot of people we didn't know said, oh, these are two industry veterans that know how to sell wine. So That's right. That, I mean, you can make as yeah. much wine as you want. It's but if you can't so sell it. Right. So I, I remember. Hasn't made it any easier. <laughs> as, a, sure. as a marketer, as I was learning the industry, I remember one of my early lessons being from um, another famous winery down the coast that I won't mention, but it's out there on their public blog saying, in their first or second year, they made you know 12,000 cases of <laughs> XYZ. <laughs> But they could only move four that year, so they mm-hmm. learn. You know, they had a hard lesson of going, "Don't make more than you can sell." And Allison, your background mm-hmm. is heavily in marketing yeah, I've sold and a lot how more to do wine this. Than we make, so <laughs> that's that's what keeps me up at night. How's it going, Sam? Well, I was just about three this morning. I was just looking right. at some reports. So okay, so good point. Yeah. So and you and I are probably always looking at reports of what's happening with sales, right? Uh, let's talk the Smith Story Wine Club. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, how does that work? So it's interesting. You know, Eric and I being from the trade, we were not, still aren't really big wine clubbers. Because you sold you know? direct to the trade, not yeah, direct we, to the consumer. We bought wines we wanted to drink. We, we definitely were on list, you know, allocation list of William Selium and mm-hmm. you know, Saratos, a few others. However, we were told, you got to start a wine club. That's important to people. Um, so we did. It's called the Storytellers. Um, that's kind of a fun play. Cause they yes. Are. And every single storyteller has become a dear friend. Um, mm-hmm. Almost every. So there's some grouchy ones in there, but whatever. So um, when, you're, when your brand is relatively new within yeah. the past six, six years, years yep, yep. you make friends with everybody. Yeah, and it's oh. interesting, though. Um, I think because we utilized Kickstarter to get started. We were the first winery to be crowdfunded back in 14. And, I think and you I, did it in 30 days. Yeah. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Or well, I should say bravo. Well, we didn't ask. <laughs> we should have asked for the 5 million that we knew that we really needed. <laughs> we hit about 26. And because of that, I think um, we captured people that were used to be online. So our daily online sales are significantly more than our wine club. Um, And so it's a really great balance. And then if you take it a a data point further, our trade mailing list, people that are in the wine trade that come to our tasting rooms or buy online is about five times bigger than our own storytellers wine club. 
So a lot of the trade, whether you're a SOM or a sales mm-hmm. rep or another vintner, you know, anybody in the trade, um, you get a little discount when you come see us. So that's a really interesting data point we've seen. So there's a, a groundswell of support from our peers, which we really appreciate that, you know. Um, but the storytellers, it's really a wine club that, you know, three different levels. Um, there's a hat trick. It's a throwback to my time working for the Dallas Stars and <laughs> National League <laughs> Hockey. The three bottle as a six packer, because why not? And then a collector's case. And each one of those levels come with um, a little bit of a shipping discount, a little bit of a wine discount on reorders. But probably my favorite part of the wine club is um, giving surprise gifts through the year. And I'm a Texas girl. We're gifters. <laughs> and so we try to send our wine club. You're a, a relationship yeah, builder. Yeah, something fun and unexpected. So I think our first uh, our first New Year's um, surprise, we gave everybody a bottle of uh, sparkling. Um, it wasn't champagne, but it was like a sparkling Loire. It's got really, mm-hmm. uh, really cool sparkling bubble from, right. from France. And you and Eric both have a lot of contacts yeah. there yeah. making that possible. Yeah. And we added, though, um, I bought... At the time, our club was around 100 people, and I think mm-hmm. I bought 100 um, leche goat cheese rounds from Penny Royal, <gasps> and, I, and I froze them. And Dang so girl. I, I, it was, it was <laughs> like Yum. Santa's workshop in our house, you know? I froze them. We had gel packs, you know, two-bottle carriers. Right, to make sure know. it arrived a yeah. certain way. So we, I've got something that's being handmade for um, this upcoming season for our club. So, you know, it's... <sighs> They take care of us, you know. They are the storytellers, are our ambassadors, and mm. we often are in their homes. And we oh my just God. got back from Colorado after a storyteller threw a big dinner party for us, and we made more storytellers. I mean, you know, that's that's Fantastic. really a, a joy, the joy part of of all the hard work. So, so, so I want to steer a little bit as a marketer, mm-hmm. you know, keep going in this direction, which is. We started with with talking about you can make as much wine as you want, but if you can't move it, right, it, it's a problem. Moving inventory, the art of inventory management, yep. is a huge yeah. part of the industry and what you can do. Do you have certain um, benchmarks or targets that you're going? I want to be, you know, my oh, goal yeah. is we have to be, we have to sell out of this by X time 100%. if we're on. So yeah. what what kind of yeah. goals are those for you? Well, they're not. You know, some say they would be lofty, <laughs> but honestly, it's a kind of a running joke. Our goal is to sell out all of, all of our current wines by Christmas, so we can take a week off or two. We have, and that's not. That's when winemakers. This is when winemakers and wine owners take time. They take yeah. January off. We haven't. We haven't been able to do Christmas. that. Um, yeah. We hired. Um, we have a director of hospitality, mm-hmm. um, really sharp as attack guy from Cornell. Um, he came to us through his parents that are mm-hmm. storytellers. Wonderful. Uh, so he's really helping us uh, behind the scenes with our online, also hosting um, private appointments at the winery and the taste room. However, I really look at our inventory and how would I want to buy wine as a consumer? Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe start aging it. You know, there's a story that Liz, Dr. Mm-hmm. Liz, um, published today yes. <laughs> um, about a, a newer winery in the Alexander Valley, mm-hmm. and they are just releasing a wine that they bottle age for seven years for the first time. And we don't have that luxury. We, right. we just don't. And I don't know but too many people that have. But <laughs> your your club members, they can they can sell okay. your wines yes. and for actually, as long as they want. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a pretty um, great distributor network that we work with and goals. It's very business-like in many terms. But I, I feel like over the years where I saw 
wineries suffer is they didn't have that inventory control and business focus on where the wine needs to be sold and how it needs to be sold. I never want to feel like I'm selling our wine. I really right. want people to really enjoy Pull marketing, not push marketing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's hard because there's way too much wine out there. There's way yeah. too much fake wine. There's way too much white noise wine. Right. You know, like I was just reading a horrible wine today that is just a i'm not even going to say what it is it was so horrible i'm like that's what now i've got to compete with something like that with that kind of mindset they they labeled something that was just not politically correct whatsoever i'm like that's what we have to compete against so here's one thing i want to remind yeah. our listeners particularly if they're consumers and still you know no no that no, was good <laughs> oh, you're great uh, listening is that um you know when you look at the vintage of any given wine that you're mm -hmm. about to buy um there can be a lot of reasons for there can be so many reasons for, you know, if you're buying a 2013, you're buying a 2015. Right. Um, it, can, it can be fantastic wine, yeah. Yeah. but it could be the wine, it could be that the winemaker and owners, they're, they're into making fantastic wines, but they're focused on selling it. They're waiting for it to be right. pulled right. and they're not into pushing it and they haven't found, yeah. maybe they haven't found the Allison Smith story <laughs> to, to help move it faster. So this doesn't right. mean that the wine is not good, that it's older. It may be absolutely sure. fantastic, but yeah. they're not marketing it as right. aggressively yeah. because they want it to be, they want it to be what they don't want to sell it and shove it down your throat. So Please don't judge wines by a specific vintage year. Go yeah. by what you love. Yeah. And then if you find yeah. makers and producers and wineries like Smith Story Wines and you love what they do, then follow them. Thank Sign you. up for I, the clubs. Uh, you have and, to trust what you're doing. And keep learning about yeah. what you love and everything. And it will help you make better yeah. decisions about why you, you know, so that you don't end up with a... A dud. Well, if you go to there. our um, website, you won't end up with a dud with right? Smith Story wine. No, you really won't, unless it's sitting in a car for a few days in yeah. the heat. You know? Yeah, or in, a few in, hours. Yeah, in a lot of heat. Yeah. So again, go to yeah. smithstorywinecellars.com. Sign up for the club. Thank you. Come to visit, taste, and all that thing. Bring Allison, a dog. Thank you. Very dog friendly. Yeah, because so. they're <laughs> dog people. Eric and Allison are totally dog people and everything. Shout out so to thank Lord you. Sandwich. Thank you so much for being with us, Alexander thank Romanini. You. Thank you for being thank a guest co-host. Ruby you Fontana, thank cheers. you so much. Cheers, 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 cheers. cheers ladies. All fantastic. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in today to Wine Women Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode of Wine Women Radio.